So now we have a blockchain with the flavor of vanilla. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is a Supply Chain Brain podcast. Blockchain technology has a long ways to go before proving itself to be a viable means of recording business transactions within global supply chains. But a recent pilot involving the transport of vanilla holds significant promise. Vanilla, after all, is the world's second most expensive spice, with a price higher than that of silver. So quality is paramount. Now, Ambrosis, provider of a blockchain and Internet of Things platform, has teamed up with Premium Goods, a flavoring company, to trace and verify the quality of Madagascar bourbon vanilla. The initiative ensures that the product is indeed originating within authorized sources in Madagascar. Then it tracks the vanilla to market, while allowing for the monitoring of humidity levels and exposure to light en route. Today, we'll hear the details of the ambitious project from Angel Versetti, CEO of Ambrosis. He'll fill us in on the fundamentals of blockchain, the benefits of using this still-developing technology, and the challenges of extending it to far more complex supply chains. So here is my conversation with Angel Versetti. Angel Versetti, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Please tell me about the genesis of this project to trace the provenance of vanilla through the use of blockchain technology. How did it get started? So we had uh, various use cases where we wanted to showcase how agricultural commodities could be traced using the blockchain. And we were exploring coffee and we did have some use cases on coffee. And we were looking also for some agricultural commodities that are precious And vanilla is indeed one of the most precious agricultural commodities. Its price is actually higher than silver. So we decided to see if we could actually get some response from the businesses in this sector. And we quickly found the company called Premium Goods, which is one of the largest vanilla importers in Europe. And they said we might be interested to try it out. And then we just started looking deeper into the use cases and saw that they have supply chain out of Madagascar primarily into Europe. And that they also, the industry itself was facing some issues with honesty and transparency. Two primary issues was, A, does the vanilla come from a sustainable farm? So everything pertaining to traceability was important. And the second question was, are the suppliers actually honest about the quality of the product? In the case of vanilla, the basic parameter of quality is actually how low the humidity is. Because normally there is a drying process in vanilla, and uh, therefore what happens pretty often is that some actors within the supply chain, they actually supply moist vanilla, or they otherwise temper with the product, and then they create, of course, problems that they overcharge the clients. So we were taking these two issues and trying to see how we could solve them with our blockchain solution. This is how it came about. My understanding is that, first of all, the lion's share of vanilla that is sold in the world today is actually produced in laboratories. So this was just Madagascar that you were experimenting with? Because I know there's not that many sources for natural vanilla. So in our case, we were focused on the natural vanilla. So we didn't work with lab-produced vanilla. 
So just Madagascar, was that your focus in terms of the country, the source you were looking at? Well, we chose one particular supply chain that was Madagascar, yes. Actually, some of the buyers of this vanilla were then, I think, extracting it in order to produce fragrance and aroma for food products or for perfume. So maybe this is the process that is subsequently used to supply additional vanilla-based products. But here we were talking about the natural vanilla from Madagascar. All right. Well, let's talk about how exactly this particular blockchain works. First of all, how many parties or how many partners are involved in a typical vanilla supply chain that need to post data or transactional data on blockchain? So in this particular use case, it's one of the first major applications we've run. So we've made it pretty simple where there are three main parties, actually. There's the buyer, obviously, the seller and distributor. So there are three parties that interact with the system. And the data is entered by distributors and by sellers, and it's verified by the buyer. And also the buyer takes the last transaction, which is acceptance of the product. So in this particular setup, it's pretty simple. In future versions of that, we obviously intend to include also additional stakeholders. But right now we're testing it on a small number of participants. Do you consider this a public or a private blockchain? Well, our blockchain itself, our network is public. And yet the data is still confidential and cannot be seen by anyone who is not authorized. No, this is not the case. Data can be checked by anybody. Here I was talking about who is entering the data in this particular mm -hmm. use case. So in terms of our, if you want me to talk about the broader architecture of AmbNet, of Ambrosos Network, then it's a public network and anybody anywhere can interact with network. And indeed, data itself can also be recorded by any user. Here I'm talking about a specific use case where the seller is producing a unique ID on the blockchain, and then additional events recorded about the product, its location or perhaps temperature or humidity, they are assigned by the party which is putting the signature. And in this particular case, it was the distributor. So the source was from one particular party. When you use the word seller, what kind of entity are you referring to? Are you referring to the actual farmers or someone above them to whom they sell? So in this particular case, there were the so-called centers that collect vanilla from the local villages. Because in Madagascar, obviously, the infrastructure is not very much developed. The uh, tracking begins at the first regional distribution center, which in turn collected from the village. Is it not important to verify the quality of the vanilla, though, at the moment of harvest at the farm level? So this depends on the product. Obviously, the ultimate vision is, yes, to be able to verify the quality from the source of each individual product. Right now, this is simply economically unfeasible, especially if we're talking about the case such as rural Madagascar, which is an extreme environment and there is not much technology there. So there we're talking about simple track and trace. So we're not necessarily verifying the quality of individual units at the moment of harvest. This is what we do in an environment such as a factory in Europe, where you might have sensors that can perform quality assurance. There, there were just certain villages which do have, for instance, some of them, I believe, do have certification from the UN or from some other agencies, national or international, that confirm that they follow sustainable practices for farming or for production. So there are other entities who verify the quality. But what they do say is that this particular plot of land, this particular farm, here everything is done properly. So some other party verifies that, and we simply verify that the product did come from that part, and we track it from that place all the way down to Europe. 
Right. So, you know, if, even if you're not tracking quality at the farm level, you are definitely tracking origin so that the provenance of a particular shipment of vanilla can indeed be traced all the way back to the actual farm or field in which it was produced, correct? In this particular use case, it can be traced back to the region. And if you want me to use some other projects we had that were similar in scope, for instance, the olive oil one, it was a similar question there. Actually, the question was even bigger. In the olive oil case, there was the problem of olive oil being brought from other countries or regions, being brought to Toscana, and then it was diluted or otherwise mixed together. And the problem was, do you track the olives? Do you track the olive oil? It was also economically infeasible. And what we've discovered is that you can measure the parameter that's called trans fatty acids. And trans fatty acids, basically, amongst other things, it actually shows you where the olive tree was growing, what kind of region it was growing at, because there are different acidity levels in the soil and other chemical indicators. So from that perspective, also, without physically tracking the items, the objects, you could actually determine their origins. So that was the example of the olive oil. So here, if it comes from a particular part of Madagascar, it's already of high quality. So we don't perform additional quality assurance techniques specifically on the bundle of vanilla, and we simply do track and trace. Of course, on the way, once it's already en route to Europe, then we measure constantly, for instance, humidity levels and exposure to light, for example. Temperature for vanilla bundles is not that much of importance in this case. So I'm assuming that unlike certain foods, like let's say lettuce, for instance, where you have the possibility of E. coli outbreaks and the like, where you actually have to go back and you have to trace the source of that particular product because of a disease that spread. I guess that's not really a threat with vanilla, is it? It seems that it's not the threat as well, indeed. When we talk to the company, obviously we deal with companies who do know their industry. So we ask them because they know better. We tell them what exactly do you need to know about the product? So in that particular case, they just wanted to make sure that, yes, it comes from that particular part and then it's of high quality. Of course, in other use cases, the one you've mentioned, it's more relevant. And we also do have use cases where we perform quality assurance. Just actually a, a few hours ago, we've released also news about our public partnership with NDS and Megamart in South Korea. They are uh, one of the biggest supermarkets in South Korea where we track beef. And for beef, we actually track quality at individual package level so that we actually measure temperature, location, and other parameters from the farm through to the slaughterhouse all the way to the distribution. So we do have use cases where we actually perform quality assurance techniques. And uh, it's not only about where the product is from, but also additional quality parameters. Vanilla is just one of our simplest use cases that we've showcased. Again, back to vanilla for a moment, though. You say it's very important to maintain a certain humidity of product during its entire travel. When it's in transit, is the carrier also involved in reporting, or is that up to the distributor, or who is actually reporting on the quality of product in transit? Actually, nobody is specifically involved. The sensor itself has connectivity, and then it sends readings at regular intervals or if there is no connection at the first available hotspot or connectivity point, it sends the transactions directly to the blockchain. And this is exactly what Ambrosus is about. It's all about enabling sensors to talk directly to the blockchain so that you wouldn't need any humans or third parties to report. So the sensors can be attached to the bundles or they can be included in the package that is closed and they just communicate via 3G, for instance, or via other means of RFID signals with the blockchain sending the data. 
Well, we've had sensors like this of some kind for some years now, and we've had the tracing of the provenance of products in transit without blockchain. How was it done before, and how is blockchain better than the old method of doing this? Because we've got these systems today, we also have, for the last five years, nonstop, an increasing number of food scandals or fraud in the supply chain, mislabeling, and other problems. In the last five years, every year has been bigger and bigger in terms of the financial damages done and the scope of the problems. And in most of those scandals, in most of those problems, the unifying factor is the vulnerability of a centralized system. Simply manipulating the data or mislabeling products, and you don't have any means to verify is the data that you're getting correct. You might be getting just an Excel spreadsheet with some data sets, but who is responsible for that Excel spreadsheet or where are the cryptographic signatures for the data and where is the mechanism that makes sure that the data hasn't been changed. So all of these problems today, yes, they enable you to simply kind of have the supply chains functioning. And if you do trust your supplier, then things should be all right. Or if the two parties do trust each other, then it's okay. But then it also creates an opportunity for collusion, either amongst several parties or just between some rogue actors. And what blockchain enables is simply uh, trust in the data. That's the first part that it, it cannot be tempered with. But the second part on top of that is the automation. All the smart contracts that are executed on the blockchain, they also enable you to have quality control techniques automated. You can simply say, if this package of food or of medicine is stored at the wrong temperature outside of the range between, let's say, two and six degrees, the moment the sensor records the temperature that's outside of the normal range, which, for instance, can be important for vaccines, because if vaccine is not stored at the right temperature, it's useless. The moment the sensor registers the wrong temperature, the smart contract immediately flags it and even reimburses the money, for example. So this level of automation on top of the trust in the data set, this is the unique aspect of what a blockchain can do. Now, once the data gets on the blockchain, as you say, it can't be tampered with. It's immutable. It requires all the parties to agree on any changes. But how can you be sure that the data that was put on the blockchain was accurate at the time it was placed there? How can you trust the uh, party who actually enters that information in the first place? And this is coming back to the point that I mentioned about us placing a huge emphasis on the sensors and on the automatic reporting by the sensors. We have both developed our own solutions, for instance, secure sensors, where the each reading is supplemented by a cryptographic signature, which simply means that the device is neither hacked nor broken. In other cases, we simply have what we call a heartbeat, if you want. It's regular readings from various sensors reporting on the conditions of the storage or well-being of the product. So from that perspective, we simply make cheating or fraud a lot more complicated because it's not humans who report the data, it's sensors submitting them at regular intervals. And a lot of sensors available on the market today already have basic security implemented so that you wouldn't be able to manipulate their data that very easily. Plus, you would need to literally hack thousands or tens of thousands of sensors at the same time, which would be very difficult for any party to do. What would you say are the biggest obstacles to getting a blockchain of this sort up and running? Well, getting the tech set up and running is, for us at least, not difficult. We've got the system up and running already. Getting it integrated, of course, that's another story. This whole industry is not very much technology progressive. So a lot of actors we deal with forget about the blockchain. They don't have any IT systems in place. 
they're just using paperwork up to these days. The basic problem there is that we have to basically leapfrog. We have to take them through several stages in one go. So we have to offer them digitalization plus blockchain integration at the same time. So this is, of course, pretty challenging because we basically have to digitalize all the paper-based processes they have. So we sometimes begin with simple digitalization of documents and creation of unique IDs, which is already a huge step ahead, and then getting the blockchain on board. The second problem is, I would say, again, so it's not the technology itself. It's more about integrating it and then, of course, educating the different stakeholders about the benefits of the blockchain and simply integrating the legacy systems that they have into this solution. And that's never an easy task. So I would say leaking this kind of the new blockchain world and the real rusty supply chain world is a pretty big challenge. How do you see this going forward? As you say, this is a limited number of parties in the vanilla blockchain that you've launched. How long will it be before you can actually bring in all the parties that are involved in this? And how long before blockchain really matures to the point where it does involve the entire supply chain? Right now, it already does the trick in the sense that it covers, for example, the most sensitive part of the supply chain. Because, for instance, we could also track it once it's in Europe, but there is no need because once the vanilla has been brought into Europe and has been sold to fragrance companies or food manufacturers, then there is no issue about quality or safety because the proper quality assurance techniques are already in place. As long as some problems are solved, it doesn't have to be the entire supply chain covered. This is the approach we're taking. We're trying to fix the most glaring problems right now to find the hotspots of the problems and fix them using our technology. Of course, longer term, as, as you asked about having multiple different stakeholders, I think having such first use cases validate the use cases and showcase the benefits of technology will be useful for bringing multiple stakeholders together. And with the documentary that we've released and with other use cases, with the beef traceability, the coffee, we're showing to companies the different ways they can actually improve both their supply chain operations as well as boost their sales and marketing. Because the huge value in this is the message they can send to the consumers that you no longer have to trust a corporation or a government, or some kind of promise or advertisement, you can actually see the technology that's trustless, that doesn't require any third party to verify it, who can tell you it's a good quality product you're consuming. So a lot of businesses we're dealing with right now, they actually they see a huge value for the future in approaching the consumers directly. And as the consumers are getting more and more educated and so do companies, they see more and more the value of the blockchain. So I'm, I'm fairly optimistic about the adoption in this case, and we're already at the turning point where every single major company and a lot of medium-sized companies are already experimenting with blockchain and are already integrating them to their business processes. So it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, and I think we're pretty strong on the way there. For all the talk of the blockchains that are being proposed out there, you are, I think, ahead of the field. You're one of the few that actually seems to be working up and running in a real use case, proving the value of blockchain. Angel Versetti, I want to thank you so much for taking time with us to explain how this particular test with vanilla, I guess more than a test, an actual blockchain involving vanilla, has worked and where we might go in the future. Thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. That was my conversation with Angel Versetti of Ambrosis, 
talking about the use of blockchain to track shipments of vanilla from Madagascar. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.